Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So it fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. They returned to Nazareth. After Jesus died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Good afternoon, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the student interns here at CCC. I'm a student at UCD. Just started my month-long Christmas holidays, which are indeed as pleasant as they sound. And I just want to encourage you for the next 10 minutes or so to wipe away all you think you know about the Christmas story and look at these verses afresh. And I also, the, the main takeaway, I'm going to give it to you early, the main takeaway from this talk today is that despite evil, God has a plan, and his plan is for good. So whenever I say the word evil, I want everyone else to reply, God has a plan. So let's try that. Evil, God has despite evil, God has a plan. very good. Okay, let me just pray before we kick off. Dear Lord, open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to what you have to say to us today. Amen. Now, imagine being Joseph. Your fiancé becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit, according to an angel that appeared to you while you were seriously considering divorcing her. The angel tells you to take Mary as your wife and when she gives birth to call the son Jesus, as he will save his people from their sins. Okay, that already sounds pretty crazy to me. Then you have to trek 90 miles to Bethlehem with your pregnant wife for a census. And she she gives birth to Jesus in a manger because there's nowhere else to put him. And then a Polish shepherd show up and they start worshipping the newborn baby. Again, pretty crazy, isn't it? You know, we've become very familiar, but this is absurd. And then several months or maybe even years later, a troop of magi, a bunch of wise men, they come and go bringing expensive gifts and praising the baby. And then another angel comes to Joseph and he says, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. 
Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. We read that in verse 13. And then for the third time, an angel says, while they are in Egypt, an angel comes to Joseph again and says, Herod has died. Take the child and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So Joseph heads up and settles in a tiny village in Galilee called Nazareth. And I want you, yeah, imagine being Joseph. Imagine the confusion, the anxiety, the, the grief, the headaches, the, the sleepless nights, the churning stomachs. You see, I think this is the issue with our 21st century sanitized Christmas, okay? This is the way we, we, we have a certain idea of Christmas. It's nice and clean. It's nice and tidy. It's baby Jesus in a manger, not crying, still. And I think this is, this is a big issue in Ireland. Thousands of people come to church or to mass at Christmas, but when January comes and the holidays are over, Jesus has no place in their lives. He goes right back up into the attic. But this is not the Christmas Matthew presents us with. Jesus was born into a world of chaos. So we're now going to have a quick look at how the Old Testament shows us that every time darkness descends and evil is present. Okay. Now, can you recall another time in the Bible where young baby boys were being murdered in their masses when the Israelites were under the rule of an oppressive nation and an oppressive ruler? You can. Read verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. 800 years prior to Jesus' birth, the prophet Hosea writes a poem describing God bringing his son, Israel, out of Egypt into the promised land. It's the Exodus story. Matthew views the whole Old Testament as a story that is pointing forward to this moment. While Pharaoh is killing the Israelite boys, God raises up a deliverer, Moses, to lead Israel out of Egypt. They then spend 40 years wandering in the desert before crossing over the River Jordan into the Promised Land. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus, as the Messiah, is the one in whom the Exodus story is reaching its fulfillment. He structured his gospel account this way. But here we have Jesus fleeing from the bad king to Egypt. And then if you read on in Matthew chapter 3, he's baptized in which river? The Jordan. And then he spends how many days in the wilderness? Forty. You see, this is the first image we are presented with by Matthew from the prophet Hosea. There's mirroring, or there's symmetry. And this is really theologically cool and, you know, gets Bible nerds like me really, really excited. But it's actually deeply practical as well. If you are a mother, Mary, fleeing for your life and your child's life, you might be tempted to think that God has abandoned you. If you've lost a family member and you're, and you're not spending Christmas with them this year for the first time, you might be tempted to think that God has abandoned you. If you've lost your job, if you're unable to travel home to your family, if you feel isolated and alone this Christmas, you might be tempted to think that God has abandoned you. And that's what the Israelites thought again and again. Matthew is inviting us to see that despite these troubles and horrors, God's purposes are not thwarted by evil. Does that mean that this suffering does not wreak havoc in the world? No, but it does mean despite evil, and he's delivering his people to the promised land. Matthew quotes the scriptures again in verse 18, after the boys in Bethlehem are brutally murdered by King Herod. 
A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, 600 years prior to Jesus' birth, Jeremiah was an eyewitness to the exile of Israel to Babylon. He saw people killed. He saw his city of Jerusalem destroyed. And, and then who is this Rachel, Matthew goes on about? Well, if you go way back to Genesis chapter 35, we see that she was Jacob's wife. And that near Bethlehem, she gave birth to the last of Jacob's 12 sons. But the birth did not go well. And Rachel dies in anguish. And what Jeremiah is doing here is He's depicting the great matriarch, the great mother of Israel, whose sons become the fathers of the 12 tribes, weeping over her children, weeping over Israel as they are taken into exile. And Matthew's picking up on this image, picking up on this story, another empire, another evil king, killing the sons of Rachel, oppressing Israel. And her weeping reaches to Bethlehem hundreds of years later as King Herod slaughters these boys. Where is God in moments of terror and evil? But Matthew shows us that he is weeping. Matthew's last reference to the prophets is in this passage, is in verse 23, when Joseph and Mary returned to Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. However, if you search for this reference in the Old Testament, you will come up empty-handed. Why is this? Well, Nazareth was thought to be a very small village, only you know, maybe 100 or 200 residents. And additionally, it's thought that there was, it only came into being about 150 years prior to Jesus' birth, whereas the majority of the Old Testament was written hundreds and hundreds of years before this occasion. But note that in the two previous occasions, in verse 15 and 17, Matthew writes, the prophet, singular, but here he's, in verse 23, it's the prophets, plural. Now, I think what Matthew has done here is absolutely brilliant. It's a wordplay. In Hebrew, the name Nazareth sounds like the word for stick or for branch. Let me grab my last drop. Stick or branch. I picked this up from a tree today in Klonski. That meant that Jesus from Nazareth was Jesus from Sticktown or stink, Stickman. Jesus the Stickman, or I like to say Jesus was Branch Boy, maybe is a way you could remember it. And we also know from John chapter 1, when Nathanael is told that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, he states that nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from this tiny village in the middle of nowhere. Now, scholars suggest that here Matthew is alluding to a number of prophets in the Bible who use this language of branches, roots, to describe the future Messiah. Jeremiah and Zechariah pick up on this but it's probably Isaiah who's most known for it. In chapter 11, in verse one of Isaiah, he writes, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Have a look at Matthew chapter one, verses five and six, and whose descendant is, what, what line does Jesus come? What is one of his forefathers' names? Jesse. Let me come to a close with another bit of Isaiah's writing, where again, he draws on this theme. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So from his supernatural but troublesome birth to the sleepy town he grew up in and the fact that evil people over the course of his life tried to kill him, all this points to who Jesus was and what he came to do. Precisely at the lowest moments when you think God is absent, the birth and the life of Jesus invites us to see exactly who this Emmanuel is. Matthew says he is with us because he went through the same trials, the same terrors, the same disappointments that we have. His death on the branch, the tree, the cross, it doesn't solve all our problems and sufferings in this life, but what it does do is it ensures that those evils do not have the final say. For many of us here in this room and online, the next few weeks are gonna be so, so tough. But remember, he is with us, he is weeping. But most of all, through the cross, he is delivering those who follow him into the promised land, even in this messy and chaotic world. His birth gives us comfort, hope, and peace. This is the real Christmas story, despite evil. Amen. 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 Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Church, if you're able, will, will you stand with me as we close in prayer? It's going to be a song playing in the background. Um, but if you're able, will you stand? Um, if you're online, you, you don't have to stand, but you can if you wish. Jesus, I, I thank you that, that in this evil world that you have a plan. I thank you that the entire Old Testament, that the, that the law and the prophets pointed towards you. And while the world was sleeping one sleepy night, you were born into the world into a vulnerable, vulnerable place. I thank you, Jesus, that you know very, very well what that is like and that you can sympathize, you can empathize with us with where we are at. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the savior of the world. You're the savior king. And you are the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. That government is on your shoulders. And that today we can go in peace and go easy. Why? Because you are in control and because, God, you have a plan. So we, we worship you, we exalt you. And Jesus, we, we thank you that we have got to be a family here at Christ City Church in 2020, no matter what this year has looked like, that you have walked alongside us, that we've got to be a church that walks alongside one another. And we've got to be a church in the midst of a season of turmoil that exalts you as a name above all other names. And all God's people said, Amen.